Malachi chapter number one. I want to look at the first five verses of Scripture. Praise God. Amen. Appreciate these good elders, Elder Moody and, and Elder Garrett, Elder Johnson, Elder Jackson, Elder Avery, all friends of mine, men of God, men I respect. Praise God. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob. And I hated Esau. And laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom said, Esau, of course, is the son of Isaac. And he says, whereas Edom said, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, thus saith the Lord of hosts. What we're looking at here, Edom was the descendants of Esau, which became a great nation according to the promises of God. And so God kind of segues from speaking about Esau as an individual and including all of his heritage, all of his, uh, all of his generations that had come forth from him. And so Edom refers to the people as well as to the land that they occupied that God had given to them. We're impoverished. We're, things are desolate. Things are destroyed. But we will return and build the desolate places, thus saith the Lord of hosts. They shall build, but I will throw down. And I want you to listen to this. And they shall call them the border of wickedness. And the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. I don't know how that sounds to your ears, but it, it just literally makes me shudder inside. Amen. I feel a coldness come over me when I think about what is said here. God said, we're going to call the borders of their nation the border of wickedness. And we're going to say concerning this people, they are going to be called the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. And of course, I've already emphasized it, so you're obviously aware that verse number four is where I really want to focus our attention. And I want to look at this last statement about the people against whom the Lord hath indignation. That means extreme anger and wrath. And the Lord hath indignation against this people forever. I want to preach to us tonight on this subject. An indignant God. An indignant God. An angry God. A God whose heart and mind is filled with wrath and vengeance and judgment. 
And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you right now. We ask for your grace, for your mercy. We ask for your strength, for your help tonight. God, I'm so dependent upon you. I can do nothing without you. God, I ask you to come right now. Touch my mind and my body. Touch this congregation. Open the ears and the hearts of your people to receive the word of the Lord. Oh, God, let your will and purpose be accomplished in this service tonight. God, would you pull our hearts and minds together. Let your spirit move across this congregation. I bind every spirit that would hinder. I bind even the distractions that would take place in this place of worship tonight. God, I believe you right now to take control of this service. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Please be seated. There are special people in my life that I love dearly. I treasure their friendship. I treasure the times that I get to spend with them. I treasure what they think about me. I really want to please them. There are some people that really have no attachment to me. I have none to them. And I don't spend my time worrying about how they perceive me or if I'm pleasing them or not. But I've got to be honest and tell you there are some people that mean a lot to me that I want to please. Several of you are here in this service tonight. When I was a child, I wanted to please my daddy. Sometimes it seemed to me like that was very difficult to achieve, especially for a mischievous child as I was. But it really bothered me when I knew that my daddy was disappointed in me. And when daddy got angry at me, it really did eat on me and bother me a whole lot. My daddy had a way with words, and he could tell you and describe to you exactly what kind of a mess you were, and you well remembered what he had to say. And uh, and I, many, many times I've said, Daddy, just go ahead and spank me. I'd rather take a belt or a switch or whatever he wanted to use than than to hear him uh, speak words of disapproval and let me know that he was disappointed in me and that he was angry with me. Amen. I, I want to make another confession tonight, good for the soul, bad for the rep- reputation. I understand that. But my wife of 46-plus years, if I hurt her feelings... If I make her feel bad or disappointed, and I know she's upset with me, amen, I, it bothers me. It bothers me. I, I, I'm not able to go to sleep, really, and rest when I know my wife is hurt and disappointed and upset. I really do like to please my wife. Amen. And she really likes for me to please her. So it's a mutual agreement. Amen. That's as far as I'm going. Amen. I have friends 
that are near and dear to me, that I do not want to hurt them or disappoint them. Sometimes we do hurt one another. Sometimes we do disappoint one another, but that's not what we do want to do. But can I tell you in sincerity tonight, most of all, I do not want to displease God. I don't want God angry and upset with me. Amen. I want to find out. I want to know what I must avoid to keep, amen, from upsetting God and making him angry with me. I want to know what he expects me to do. Sometimes it's not just what we uh, do, but sometimes it's what we fail to do. And I want to know what he expects of me. Amen. And I, I want to try to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Amen. I desire God's favor. I desire God's blessings. I desire God's protection. I've got to have his help. I've got to have his anointing. I can't make it without him. Amen. Not for one moment. Not for one day. I need God all the time. Amen. And the Bible talks about how when, when, whenever uh, our, our hearts condemns us. And you know why our heart condemns us? Because we know we have done something that is displeasing to the Lord. That when our hearts condemn us and we don't have any confidence toward God, our faith is, is canceled out by condemnation. I don't want to walk around living in condemnation. I like it when I can feel that confidence and that assurance that comes from knowing that everything's fine between me and the Lord. And so, I do not want to make God angry at me. Now, the Bible gives us a very wonderful principle that sometimes we have trouble understanding. I remember as a child again, Daddy would uh, tell me, he said, Now, son... This hurts me worse than it does you. And then he would fly into the task at hand with such gusto. He seemed to be enjoying it a whole lot more than I was. But I have seen a few times when my daddy went to spank me. And he broke down and cried and said, I just really hate to have to do this again. Now, brother, that got it. To me, you hear me? And but discipline is different than judgment. Chastisement is for our improvement. Chastisement is to help us be saved. Chastisement is to arrest us from what we're doing, from going in the wrong direction, from the wrong attitude. Amen. And the Bible says that God chastens those that he loves. So the chastening of the Lord, if we can really understand it, is a wonderful thing. And when you do things you shouldn't do, and God lets you get by with it, that's a bad sign. I don't want God to let me get by with sin. I don't want God to let me get by with a bad attitude. I don't want God to let me get by with prayerlessness. Are you listening to me tonight? Amen. I welcome the chastening of the Lord. 
Amen. But I am very fearful of God's vengeance and God's judgment. Amen. And in the day and hour that we're living in, there is a dearth. There is a shortage. In fact, it's a rare thing when you find someone that really has the fear of the Lord in 2015. Amen. Culture has changed. Attitudes have changed. Amen. What's in the world, the spirit in the world of iniquity has made inroads into the church. We're affected by the spirits we're around, the people we're around, the things we hear day in and day out. And I'm telling you, you rarely ever hear anybody say anything about the judgment of God. It's all about blessings. It's all about uh, God uh, uh, giving you the Holy Ghost and what a wonderful experience it is. And all of that is true and we need to talk about it. But where's the balance? Amen. Sometimes what keeps us walking right is the knowledge that there is a God that's not going to put up with our nonsense. You will reap what you sow. Amen. God will judge you if you continue to walk in disobedience and rebellion. Praise God. I I, I live, I live at the headquarters of the agape. Uh, could I say, uh, concept and culture. Amen. I've been hearing this. Now I've been pastoring me 35 years in January. I've been pastoring in Tulsa. And sometimes I hear about so much love, 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 love. I'm almost like in Song of Solomon. God said he's sick of love. Amen. And, and the reason why is because the love they're talking about is not a true love. Amen. It's some surfy, sloppy, agape. Amen. That you can live any way you want to live and God's proud of you. You can do anything you're big enough to do and God doesn't care. Amen. God just a God of love and mercy. But we have forgotten that there is a point that an individual can cross when God says, Mercy is finished and judgment is pronounced. I exalt the love of God. I exalt His mercy. I wouldn't be here tonight if it wasn't for God's mercies. And neither would you. I do not minimize. I do not want to take anything away from God's mercy. Amen. I've experienced it again and again and again. And I'm going to need it again tomorrow. But at the same time, I fear God. Because I know He holds my life in His hand. And I know that someday I'm going to stand before Him and be judged. And He is not going to lie when I'm standing there. And as great as His mercy is, and as great as His love is, it's an awesome thing. It's an incredible thing. But on the other side, amen, His judgments are just as great and incredible as His love is. I promise you tonight, you do not want to experience the judgment of God. I have seen it 
up close and personal. I've seen it happen in the lives of individuals that I've tried to pastor and help. I've seen it happen to very close friends of mine. Amen. They are burning in the flames of hell tonight because the day came when God said, you have crossed a line and I am through with you. One of my close friends growing up with, I was in the service when Verbal Bean was preaching. A church dedication service in Tulsa back in the 60s when I was in Bible college came home for this special service. And on a dedication service, Brother Bean preached judgment and said, there's two people here tonight that's getting their last call. My friend had come home from Vietnam for his grandfather's funeral and he was there with the girlfriend that wasn't from the church he wasn't living for God he was backslidden and I knew God was talking to him and that girl I'd never met her before I went to them and asked him would you please come to the altar amen and Freddie shook his head and said no and I pleaded and I begged with him and I spoke this young lady was crying and I said would you like to pray and she said yes I said let's go to the altar she said, if, he'll, if he will go. And I turned to him and I said, Freddie, please take her to the altar. He said, no. He said, I don't, I don't need to go to the altar. He said, I've had a renewing of my mind tonight. I said, Freddie, you don't need a renewing of your mind. You need a renewing of the Holy Ghost. I said, please take this young lady to the altar. He refused to do it. Two weeks later, she was dead of suicide. When my friend came home from Vietnam, it was in a straitjacket. His mind was totally gone. And he was in, in and out of institutions and, and having all kinds of problems and was only in a home for a few years and he had just a, a minor traffic stop and he had a, he had a, some kind of a, a flashback and he kicked the officer and ran from him and the end result of it was he was gunned down and killed by the Tulsa police officers in Tulsa Oklahoma. But I'll never forget when he crossed that line. I'm telling you tonight, he is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. But we need to be reminded, amen, that the judgments of God are sure. You don't want to experience the judgment of God. The writer of Hebrews 10.31 said, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. My, my, I'm starting to feel the Holy Ghost here now. I feel like I'm going to bring a message to somebody that can save you if you'll receive it. Amen. Are you listening to me? I believe God wants to bring some fear of the Lord upon this congregation. We need it. We live too carelessly. We don't watch what we say like we ought to. We slip and slide and try to get by. But we need a new understanding and a new appreciation of the fear of the Lord. Amen. And walk out of here with a determination. I want to serve God. I want to please God. I want to be what He wants me to be. I'm not going to play around. I'm not going to fool around. We're living in the end time. I don't want to be asleep when the bridegroom comes. I don't want to be half full of oil when the sound is given. Behold the bridegroom. Come and go out to meet him. 
Hallelujah. Your Bible is filled with many, many examples of those who incurred God's wrath. Moses was one of God's favorites. Moses was the great emancipator of the Jewish nation. The giver of the law. He was to the Old Testament and the covenant God made with Israel. What Jesus Christ is in the New Testament and the covenant that he's made with you and I. Amen. He suffered many things. He took a stand when it was difficult. He laid his life on the line. Amen. For his people, the Hebrews. And God enabled him to lead them out of Egyptian bondage. Forty years he led them in the wilderness. But he did something one day that seemed to cancel out. Amen. A lifetime of doing good. And God said, I want you to speak to the rock this time to bring forth water. But he was indignant. He was angry. He was stirred up. He was frustrated because the people of God were complaining. Amen. And they were talking against him and talking against God. And he was angry for God. He was angry for himself. And in anger, he took the rod and he smote the rock instead of speaking to it. God said, because of this, you will not cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. And the Bible tells us that God was angry, Deuteronomy 4.21, with Moses when he told him that. I'm going to tell you something. If you make God angry, he may take away from you something that you have built your whole life around. You may forfeit the greatest thing that God wanted to do in your life as a Christian. The greatest thing God wanted to do in your life as a man of God. The great thing that God wanted to do in the church where you pastor. Because of a moment of foolishness. A moment of anger. A moment of losing control of your emotions. Amen. Could bring upon you the disfavor of God and cancel out some great blessing God wanted to bring your way. 1 Kings 11 and 9, it tells us that God was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord. God didn't change. Solomon changed. Sometimes people are in greater danger when they enjoy success in the ministry than when they are struggling and just barely getting by. There's something about success. There's the arrogancy of success. There's the rich man syndrome. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. My God, I'm preaching to everybody here tonight. Amen. We pray for God's blessings and when they come, it could be a curse instead of a blessing. It is a test to see if you can handle, amen, the blessings of God and still stay true to God. And then, again, boy, there's some things as a parent 
that used to really upset me. There are some things as a pastor that still upsets me. When people will call you for every little trivial thing that happens. And then something major, something important, they don't call you. And then when it turns into a mess and you're trying to deal with it, they say, well, I know how busy you are. And I didn't want to bother you. Amen. That is not the reason why they didn't call. That's not the reason why I didn't hear from them. But they did not want me to be involved in what was going on in their life. They're covering their tracks. And I tell people, don't you go there with me. You send me little silly jokes. Amen. You bother me about this and that and something else and something this important. And you say, well, it's because you're so busy, you're lying. That is not the reason. And if you want to make God angry, let me tell you how to do it. In the book of Ecclesiastes 5 and 6, it says, Supper not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? An error means it was a mistake. I have never gotten so sick of any excuse in my life as much as I do as politicians, as sports heroes, as others say, I made a mistake. An error in judgment. But they don't have the guts to say, I did wrong. Amen. They're reaching for that sympathy vote. They're reaching for somebody to sympathize and say, well, you know, we all make mistakes. People, these are not mistakes. This is sin against God. And God said, don't sin by your mouth by saying it was an error. Amen. Well, I've got many regrets. That doesn't cut it. How about saying I have messed up? I have sinned. I have done you wrong. Come on, let's man up. And deal with things the way it needs to be dealt with. Let's quit beating around the bush. Amen. Because God said when you do that, it makes me angry. That's why some people can't get victory in their lives. Because they will not confess their sins. Amen. And I'm telling you, that's just a clever way of hiding your sins. Amen. But when you hide your sins, you shall not prosper. But whosoever confesseth. And forsaketh his sins shall find mercy. Amen. There's a liberty that comes in just being a man, being a woman, and saying, I have sinned, I've done wrong, and I want God to forgive me, and I want you to forgive me, and I want the church to forgive me, and I want my man of God to forgive me. I gotta get right with God. Why are you carrying around week after week, month after month, year after year, and never get victory over it? Because you have never done what God said to do. And that's confess your sin and forsake it. 
and you want to get the monkey off your back, you need a spell of old-time, old-fashioned repentance. Well, hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord some thanks together right now. Hallelujah. As we take a trip down through the pages of God's Word, from history, from the beginning of mankind here upon the earth, all the way down to the time of the apostles and the conclusion of the writing of the Bible, dotted here and there throughout the history of mankind are nefarious, notorious individuals that God labeled, that God put the spotlight on, that God mentions them often. Numerous times they are referred to in Scripture, but always in a negative manner, always in a bad light. These are people that God holds up before us as an example and saying, this is what makes me angry. You don't want to be like this person. You don't want to do what they did, lest you incur my wrath against you forever. So it was with this man called Esau. He incurred God's wrath forever upon him, upon his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, the entire nation, the land that God had given unto them. He incurred the wrath of God, the anger of God. And Esau's wickedness is often referred to in the Bible as an example of somebody who by willful sinning crossed beyond the bounds of mercy. In the 17th chapter of Acts, Paul preaching there at Athens and preaching about the unknown God and the God that you ignorantly worship him declare I unto you. And he spoke of the God that gives us life and breath and all things. And he said he has set our the bounds of our habitation. In the life of every individual here tonight. By the t- when you were born, there were already boundaries or parameters that have been set in your life by God. And if you go beyond those boundaries, you're going to cross into a place, amen, a no man's land, a place where there's no protection, a place where God will not hear you. You can go so far beyond those boundaries, amen, that God will cut you off forever. 
I don't expect a response or reaction. Amen. I've got to deliver my soul here tonight. Amen. And, and I'm not looking for crowd response of, of accolades and, and clapping and whatever because some of this is going to be hard to get excited about. But I am hoping and believing for a response of people that's going to uh, uh, confess and clean themselves before God before they leave here tonight and walk out of here knowing that everything is right, amen, and that you're on the mercy side of God and not on the judgment side. And here in Malachi chapter 1, interesting book, it's like a legal brief. It's a list of indictments. And God begins with an indictment against the nation of Edom, the descendants of Esau. After he finishes with them, he deals with the priesthood, uh, uh, the Israeli uh, priesthood. And he goes on down through here. He makes a charge, and then he substantiates it. Amen. He details it out. And so this is what he does here as he speaks in Malachi chapter uh, 1, uh, verses 1 down through 4. And he talks about God's unending love for Jacob. And he reminds them, he said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now those that believe in predestination and those that believe in serpent seed doctrine, they run to this and use it to prove, amen, that God predestines people to either be saved or lost. They do err because they do not know the scripture. Amen. God never said prior to the birth of these boys that he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. The only thing he said was as far as order and authority. And he said the younger shall serve the elder. I mean the elder shall serve the younger. He didn't say Esau's going to be lost. He said that The elder, which would be Esau, is going to be under the authority of his younger brother, which is Jacob. Somebody said, why? I don't have time to go into it, but I'll just simply say the reason why is because God knew that the first Adam was going to fail. Amen. It'd be the second Adam that would bring salvation. The first Adam is of the earth, earthly. Amen. The second Adam is spiritual from heaven above. Amen. So the spiritual man, amen, the power of the Spirit is the only way that we can live a life that's pleasing unto God. And so throughout the lineage, amen, of those patriarchs of old, God often bypassed the first and went to the second. Amen. We've got the example of Ishmael and Isaac. Amen. Ishmael was of the flesh. He was of uh, uh, of the carnal woman. Amen. Uh, uh, and and so uh, God had to bypass him. Amen. And go to the second one, which was a miracle baby. Birth of the Spirit. Praise God. And so this is why when Esau and Jacob were born, they were twins. And they were not, they were absolutely not identical twins. Amen. But they were uh, uh, just uh, uh, two two babies living in the same womb. They were not, they didn't look alike. 
They didn't act alike. They were totally different. Amen. But you see, God chose the second born to be the leader. Amen. To have the birthright. And there's a whole lot of things I'm not going to go into. I don't have time. I don't want to get off my subject here. But I just want you to understand that's all it was talking about was who was going to be the head of the family. Who was going to take care of things when daddy moved off the scene. And God said it's going to be Jacob instead of Esau when typically and normally it would be the eldest son. There was a reason for it. God knew what was in Esau. Amen. He didn't want him to be the father of a great nation. Amen. You can see what kind of nation he produced. God knew what he was doing. Amen. Jacob was a mess too, but when God got through with him, amen, God got him where he could uh, uh, use him and Jacob would listen to him and he made a saint out of him before it was over with, just like he has some of us. Everybody say praise the Lord. But the question would be, why did God hate Esau? It's a manifold question. But he is described in Hebrews. And he's used as an example as the Bible speaks about a root of bitterness springing up trouble us. And thereby many be defiled. Hebrews twelve fifteen. Next verse, he said, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. When God needed a name to use that everybody would know. And he would say, I don't want you to be like this. But when you get a root of bitterness in your heart. It'll drive you to do things you never thought you would do. It made a fornicator out of Esau. Because when he saw that it did not please his mom and dad, amen, for uh, 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 their sons uh, uh, to uh, uh, marry of the daughters uh, of the heathen nations around them, he went out there and got him a heathen woman just to spite mom and dad. And I guess he did more than that. There's a lot of the story. We don't know all the details. But God labeled him eternally as a fornicator. And a profane person. I don't want God hanging some kind of label like that on me. And it's like with disgust. It's like I can hear God spitting. As he says it, this fornicator, this profane person, this worthless, worthless son of Abraham. I know not directly, but grandson. An heir of the promise. Do you know what that sorry thing did? He sold his birthright for a bowl. Of soup. God said I hate him. Anybody that takes his salvation. That lightly. And that carelessly. Some people can 
walks into the altar and walks out to the world. In and out, 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 in and out. And I've heard him say, I know that regardless of where I go or what I do, that God's going to take me back. You are living in a state of delusion. God is not bound to take you back. In fact, if you keep on doing that, God is going to label you as a vile person. Amen. As a fornicator, as a profane person who sold your birthright for a fleeing in the world. He said, well, you know, afterwards. There's always an afterward. There's always a next morning. Amen. There's always the next thing on the agenda that comes along. There's always things to deal with when you sin, when you stray from the ways of God, when you go out of the church and you do things you ought not to do. It's not just done and over with, but there's always some things following along behind you. Amen. Be sure your sins will follow you out. Uh, will find you out. Amen. There's some men whose sins go before them to judgment. That's those that repent and take care of business and send it on. But there's others whose sins follow them. And I'm preaching to some people here tonight. Your sins are following you. You think you got it covered up? You think everything's alright? Amen. But you better take care of business and send it on up to judgment and get it judged now rather than have to face God and Him judge. Well, it's been ten years ago. You waited 10 years too long. Trust me. This afterward is a bigger word than you think it is. Afterward. When he would have. Now he's serious. Now he's sincere. Now that birthright means something to him. Now he wants it really, really bad. Afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Don't blame Jacob, Esau. Don't blame someone else, sir. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame the church. And most of all, don't blame the man of God. Even if there's a man of God in your past that done you wrong, don't blame him for what you did wrong. Amen. Because God allows some wrong things to come into our life to test us, to see if we're made out of the right stuff or not, to see if we're going to be honest when others are dishonest. To see if we're going to be morally pure when others are morally impure. Amen. To see if we're going to retaliate um, and get a root of bitterness. Or if we're going to pray. Amen. Until we put it on the altar and we walk away with joy in our soul. We walk away with a clear conscience. We walk away with a peace of God that passes understanding. Amen. Nobody's going to go to heaven that doesn't get tested. Nobody's going to go to heaven that doesn't have to fight bitterness. Nobody's going to go to heaven that hasn't had to fight pride. Every one of us are going to walk down similar trails and sometime or another God's going to allow you to be tested and if you fail do not blame someone else for your failure it was an error 
It was a mistake. It was someone else's fault. No, we can't do that. Afterward, afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Not by Jacob, not by his daddy. He was rejected by God. How long has it been since you've read this verse of Scripture? It says, for he found no place of repentance. Everybody say, no place of repentance. How would you like to be living in a place where you try your best to repent and God turns a deaf ear? How would you like to know that you're facing death? And you're not right with God. And you begin to cry out to God. And all you get is an echo of your voice coming back into your ears. This man later thought things through. And decided a birthright is a pretty good thing to have. And he thought, I can just fix that real easy, and I can get it back. But it didn't work that way. It says he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You can't unbreak glass. There's a lot of things that can't be undone. You can't unspill water that's spilt upon the ground. You can't get back your virginity once it's gone. There's just some things that cannot be fixed the way that it was in the beginning. And it's best to stop and think about it now while you're in the right mind and not in the heat of lust. You need to make up your mind. There's some places I'm not going. Some things I'm not going to start. Some things I'm not going to do because I want the blessings of God in my life. I don't want God angry at me. I don't want to get caught up in a spirit like Esau that's going to take me to a place that I can't get back. So God cursed everything that pertained unto Esau. He cursed the land. He cursed his offspring. And he said, from now on, people are not going to say Edom. They are going to say the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. He never will get over his anger Against Edom. In fact, whenever Nebuchadnezzar came against Israel, he also conquered the Edomites. They went into captivity, but they were never restored. There's not an Edom any longer, but they're still in Israel. Because Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God judged Judah. God chastised Judah. But he restored her to her land. So let us go now 
to Jude, chapter number one. There's only one chapter. Verse three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This is a two-part message. The first part you've already heard. And God has spoken to many of you. And don't you forget what God said to you when this message is finished. But I want us to look at another aspect of things that are displeasing to God. And things that make God angry. Judas thought to be one of the last of the writers of the New Testament. Next to last, maybe even last in that time frame. And when he speaks of the faith, he's not talking about faith for healing, faith for deliverance. He's talking about the faith, the doctrine, what we believe, what we stand for. This is a conference of apostolic doctrine and holiness. And holiness is part of the doctrine. But this just says we got a good, strong flavoring of holiness in all of our doctrinal preaching. We're not ashamed to talk about holiness. We're not ashamed because we are holiness. In fact, we're thankful for it. I don't want to say proud, that's the wrong spirit. But I'm thankful to God that I know and understand this doctrine of separation. I thank God for holiness. I do. Amen. But it says we should earnestly contend. Now, to contend means to fight. And to earnestly contend would be something like what would happen here if I tried to beat this young man in wrestling. He ain't going to quit trying. Now, it'd be to no avail. But we'll struggle for a while. You might even hear a little weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Brother Jonathan Dudley does not contend. He earnestly contends. I know a good illustration. Let me get Brother David Moody up here and Brother Jonathan Dudley. And I can illustrate to you fellows what earnestly contending means. That means, brother, throwing down. Now, if you can't understand that, you need to go to Brazil. You probably can't understand Portuguese either. Earnestly contends means that you are going to be strongly opposed. It means if you don't bow up and fight back, you're going to lose something valuable and precious that you cannot recover. A church can't lose holiness and get it back. It rarely, rarely, rarely ever happens. When it seems to have happened, many of the people that were there are gone. And others came in that accepted holiness. 
Are you listening to me? But it says, I, I, I felt that I must write to you. I gave all diligence. I put this on the front burner. This was at the top of the list. Amen. I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Praise God. We still believe in the new birth experience. We still believe in one God. We still believe in holiness. We still believe. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm telling you, between now and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to have to earnestly contend as we never have before. The truth is under a greater attack today than it was in the days of the apostles. Paul crawling out from under a rock pile. Amen. Clawing his way out of a shipwreck. Amen. Casting poisonous serpents into the fire. Been beaten and left for dead and stoned and left for dead and on and on and on. He said, knowing this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. I'm not, we're not facing so much stoning and things along that line, at least at the present time. I don't know what we'll face before the Lord comes. But I'm going to tell you, there's never been a more dangerous hour than the hour that we're living in. Dangerous times are here. Perilous times are here. Amen. The devil's working every way he can. Amen. As Pastor Dudley said in opening this service tonight, our nation's falling apart. We've lost our, our moorings. We have lost our, our anchor. We've pulled it up and we're drifting on the sea and being driven by wind upon the rocks. This nation is headed for trouble. It's in trouble. Amen. If we ever need the Lord before, we sure do need Him now. I'm going to tell you, just a couple of weeks or so after the uh, Supreme Court ruling that all Gay people had a right to marry. We got a phone call at our church. It was left on the voicemail. And it was a woman calling that worked with this organization in Tulsa called Tulsa Cares. I hadn't heard of it, but I looked it up. And it is a nonprofit organization that has been formed. I don't know who funds it. For the purpose of reaching out to the gay community, especially those that are suffering from uh, HIV, positive, and AIDS. She called our church, and she said she knew about our church. She said she had uh, one time visited one of our daughter works, and she said, uh, I have a gay couple that is looking for a new church home, a Pentecostal church home. And she said, I want to know if you all are accepting accepting of the gay community and if you will welcome this couple into your church as members. What do you think that meant? They're testing, testing, testing. That's what it was. It's a trap. I didn't call him back. 
I told my staff, if they call back, tell them they have to talk to the pastor. They want to know a number, give them the church number, let them call that again. <laughs> and let them leave another voicemail. But if I have to answer them, I'm going to tell them yes. If they want to be a member of our church, they're going to have to come the same way everyone else does. And that's through the altar. And they're going to have to repent of their sins and quit living in fornication and adultery. That's not what they want to hear. There's only one way in this church. And it's the same way it's been from the beginning. Do you believe that? Amen. But that's the time, that's the kind of hour that we are living in. They didn't come knocking on the apostles' church and say, we got a gay couple that's got AIDS that wants to be a member of your congregation. Will you accept them and others like them into your church? But that's not the thing I'm the most concerned about tonight. That's just one thing. I'm concerned about the erosion of our doctrine if we don't preach it and teach it and enforce it and talk about it. Earnestly contend. Earnestly contend. we got to keep preaching it again and again and again. And here's what Jude said that the devil's strategy is going to be. It's going to be those that's going to creep in among us. And we're going to be unaware of who they are and what their agenda is. And they shout like we shout. And they jabber like we jabber. And they sing like we sing. And they preach like we preach. But they don't believe a word of it. They've already tried to make inroads into my congregation. I've almost been deceived by some of them myself. I'm preaching to you today. We must be aware. Because there are men foreordained of old. Amen. That's going to sneak into our movement. And try to pollute and corrupt this precious message. This faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, I don't want to raise. Now, I'm going to say it. There's probably some here tonight. They're only here to promote their ministry, their agenda. Go ahead. It's getting tight. I knew I was right. I knew God spoke to me that today when I was praying. I'm telling you, there are some, amen, that like to hang around apostolics. I've known of child molesters, amen, that want to hang around apostolics because the best camouflage and covering for perversion is to get amongst a bunch of apostolics and dress like them, act like them, talk like them, and do like them. But we need a move of God. We need a move of the Holy Ghost. 
We need some old time discernment. Or whatever you want to call it, discerning of spirits. Amen. We need it. I said we need it to be able, amen, to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. They are intent on destroying this doctrine. Yes, they are. They are ungodly men. Verse 4 said, filled with unbridled lust. Certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that they are not among us? They have been among us. We've seen them change when it was to their benefit. We've seen them go in a completely different direction. We've seen them kiss up, be nice, and love older men of God just, oh, just adore them. And they hand off to them an apostolic church. It don't take them three or four years to take it to hell in a handbasket. They never believed it. Amen. They were just pantomime. They were just pretending. They were just making believe, make, make believe because they wanted to get their hands on that church. They are inspired and anointed by hell. They seem to be spiritual at times because they do have spirits, but not the right spirit. Paul said, from henceforth, I know no man by the flesh, but by the Spirit. We better learn how to pray and get a hold of God. We put too many men in our pulpit that have released spirits into our congregations. They say the right thing. Amen. What goes from mind to mind is not necessarily what corrupts people as much as what goes from spirit to spirit, heart to heart. We got to get away. From the past, when people said, well, they can turn the crank. They get, they can get a crowd together. They can get people to do this and do that. Hey, I don't need a Simon. I don't need a magician in my pulpit. I don't want them to leave spirits in my congregation that I gotta fight for five years and lose precious young people and young families because of the poison that they put into my congregation. We've got to learn how to earnestly contend. Praise God. Give me just a minute. You can stand up here if you want to, or you can go back to your seat. I don't care. But Jude continues to list three examples of what happened in bygone generations. He talks about the Israelites that perished in the wilderness because of unbelief. They had enough faith to get out of Egypt, but not enough faith to get into the promised land. He reminds us of the fallen angels that joined with Satan 
and his revolt against God. They kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And thirdly, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner give them themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. It didn't end with the fire that burned up their city and their bodies. And he speaks of these men. He calls them filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. They're lawless. They're defiant. They're disrespectful to those with spiritual authority, and they answer to no one. They speak evil against elders. They speak evil against men of God that are standing for truth and righteousness. They mock. They make fun. They pull excerpts out of context and make big sport out of it. Amen. Trying to tear down because they may act like they love you, Elder Moody, but they really hate you. They may kiss up to you, amen, uh, Elder Garrett, because if they could use your name, that would open some doors for them. Amen. They like what you've can do for them, but they hate your message. We got to know who they are. Amen. So it says these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. They hate accountability. They are lawless. They are filled with the spirit of iniquity. And anybody that represents spiritual authority, they Fight, they fight against them. Even Michael the archangel did not bring railing accusation against the devil when fighting over the body of Moses, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Even though he's a fallen angel, he was a higher angel before the fall than Michael was. So Michael just said, the Lord rebuke thee. Do we understand the spiritual authority? I'm afraid not. And then these men are ignorant concerning the things of God because they are totally guided by their natural senses. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, things they don't understand, i.e., the working of the Spirit. They speak evil of the gifts of the Spirit. They speak evil when a man says, I have heard from God. They speak evil when there's a message in tongues interpreted or a prophecy. They laugh and mock when somebody calls out a spirit that God allowed them to discern or tries to cast out a spirit. Everything is a joke with some people. One of the reasons some people don't believe in the gifts of the spirit because they're afraid that the gifts of the Spirit are going to search them out and expose them. And they have a right to be afraid of it. But the only thing, the realm they operate in is they speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. 
and those things that corrupt themselves. They just know what they hear, see, smell, taste, whatever. They know nothing about the Spirit. To have anything that looks like the Spirit, they have to pretend and act. But there are certain character flaws that all rebels have in common. There's three of them that's mentioned here. The way of Cain, the heir of Balaam for reward, and the gainsaying of Korah. Cain, the way of Cain, the way he went, the pathway of Cain. Go back to the beginning and trace his steps from when he made his way to the altar until God drove him out from his presence. They follow. They have gone in the way of Cain. First of all, God tried to deal with Cain and he rejected the voice of God. He was filled with envy against his brother because it was obvious that God's favor was upon Abel and God had accepted Abel's sacrifice and had rejected Cain's. Envy led to hatred. Hatred led to murder. And so those that followed the way of Cain, amen, are going to be destroyed and led into the error of Cain just like he was. And the ultimate punishment is if you go that way far enough, amen, you're going to suffer separation from God. Separation from God. The way of Cain. Amen. If you feel any envy in your heart against another child of God because of God's blessings upon them, you better get to bed, get to work and take care of this right now. You don't want envy to go to mur- or to go to uh, hatred. Now, no, we don't take guns and knives and kill people, but there's sure a lot of assassinations that goes on among us at times. Amen. We don't need that. We don't need to play into the devil's hands. Amen. The error of Balaam for reward. I want to talk to every young preacher in this congregation tonight for just a few minutes. If you are getting into the ministry because you think that it's going to be financially lucrative for you, get out now. If you love money and you don't get that out of your heart, God is going to bring enough money to you to destroy you. You'll not do without money because that's what you want. But he that loveth silver is not satisfied with silver. You never can have enough when you have greed for money. And the Bible says that 
Balaam ran greedily. That word greedily means with reckless abandonment. That means with the great use and expanding much energy. It means he went after this with everything he had. And in case you have wondered why God finally told Balaam, you go ahead and go, but you speak every word that I tell you to speak, it was because he was greedy for money. And God said, all right, I'm going to let you get some money and see what happens. And Balaam was so intelligent and so smart, he thought he outsmarted God. Amen. He went an end around on God. But he ended up being a loser. You know, if some preachers would work as hard for revival in souls as they do to make another buck, their churches would flourish. Somebody needs to say it. And I'm one of the older ministers here. There's two or three that's older than I am. And I'm going to say it because God put it on my heart. I'm telling you, amen, this love of money is destroying our churches. It's destroying preachers. Sometimes it's other things that we look at and say, well, uh, this destroyed him, that destroyed him, and something else destroyed him. And I'm sure it all played a role. But I'm going to tell you what, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's what the Bible says. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. When you chase the dollar, you are going to go into error. And many false teachers begin teaching false doctrine because they believe that it will be more lucrative than preaching the truth. They never believe the truth and they don't believe the false doctrine. The only thing they believe is that the dollar rules. And I want to get as many of them in my hot, sweaty hands as I can. Thy money perish with thee. That you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You thought you could have the blessings of God and buy your way, amen, into spiritual success. It just does not work. Amen, amen. They've erred from the faith. False teachers are not concerned about your soul. The only thing they're concerned about is how fat is your bank account. They're after your money. And, of course, we can see it all around us, mega churches, amen, the largest church, I guess, in North America for sure, maybe one of the largest in the world's meeting in a, you know, in a big uh, stadium in Houston, Texas. And all it's about is feel good and get more money. That's what people want to hear, but that's not going to save them. Come on, somebody to the music. I'm just about through the gainsaying of Korah. I cannot leave this out. I know I've been going too long. I should have quit 15 minutes ago. But i got to tell you about this before I finish. The gainsaying 
of Korah. Who was this Korah? He was a prince. He was one of the leaders. Amen. He was a man with a bright future. But he got envious of Moses' position as the leader of the children of God and Aaron's position as the high priest. He wanted to unseat Moses and Aaron so that he could set himself in their place. Now listen to me tonight. People like this do not have a problem with authority. What they have a problem with is who is in authority. When somebody with this kind of spirit gets in authority, they are a dictator. They are cruel. They are a taskmaster. They run over people. They intimidate. Whatever they have to do to get their way. But they themselves will not come under the authority of God or man. And this was Korah. And the Bible speaks of his gainsaying. And gainsaying means controversy, strife, contempt in words, actions, humiliating treatment, reproach, rebellion, Insubordination, restless, dissatisfied spirit, and a desire to rule. That's what gainsaying means. And then it says, Jude 1 and 12, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. And I don't want to burst anybody's bubble or rob you of your innocence. But you need to know they are among us today. They are among us today. The profession of believing this message is superficial. And their designs are self-serving. Even in this service tonight, we would be amazed to know how many people has been exposed to this spirit and affected by it to some degree. The lemon has been put into the dough. Tonight, we need to dig the leaven out before it multiplies and contaminates the entire loaf. Oh, God. Cain would have laughed you to scorn if you'd suggested that his refusal to submit to God would lead to murder and being expelled from God's presence. Balaam! Could have never dreamed how far his spirit of covetousness would take him. Korah and his followers to the end were so bold until the earth opened up and swallowed them. 
And I want you to understand tonight, people like this, God is indignant against them. And always will be. As I end this tonight, I've got one more statement I need to make. Would you please stand? Here's what God put upon my heart tonight. And that is this. That he has already begun exposing many of these false brethren. And that he is going to continue to expose them. To uncover them. Now that, my friend, is a great promise because it needs to happen. In fact, I want to emphasize it by saying this. Of everything that I have said tonight, this statement right here is something as important or maybe more important than anything else I've said, that God has begun to purge His true church. And He's going to expose those that are false. But listen to me. If you have been under the influence of the ministry of anyone that has gone off into error, even though you may have rejected them. At some point, you said, I can't go any further. It's very probable that some of the leaven of false doctrine that they taught, you're still carrying it around. Because you bought into a lot of stuff they put back there in the beginning as they were setting the stage to lead you into total error with them. Two young preachers, one man prominent among us, that just totally has denounced what we believe. And he's vocal about it. He does his blogs. I'm going to tell you what. Don't Go read their blogs. Don't follow them. Don't listen to their music. I'm going to tell you, your curiosity about what these false prophets are doing are going to get you in trouble. Leave them alone. But I feel to say what I'm saying. There are some here tonight. If you have been enthralled, infatuated by them over the past years, you better go back and pray and fast and seek God and make sure you are digging out every little bit of false doctrine that they may have gotten into your spirit. It might not be in one year, five years, or ten years, but if you don't get it out, it's going to cause you major trouble on down the road. You could even lose your soul and ministry over it. 
Destroy the CDs, the tapes, the MP3s. We just put together a put all of the uh, ARC conference that we hosted for several years, ten years. All the ARC messages on a on a USB drive, MP3 format for those that wanted it. We just put all of the admit teaching and materials on one. But those that have gone off into false doctrine, I redacted it. Good. And the reason why, just in case somebody gets blessed by something they said or did, I don't want them to look at that and get interested and go and start following them. There's a reason why their stuff's not on there. That's my way of proclaiming. These men are wrong. We're not interested in what they had to say, have to say. And they want to know why their stuff's not on there. They ever find out and ask. It's, I would be glad to tell them it's because you have denied the faith. You are of the devil. You're a false prophet. And we don't want anything that has anything to do with you. Been circulated in the apostolic movement. I'm sure not the one that's going to be doing it. Amen. But let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Just a moment, just a moment. I feel I feel led of God to do something here just a little bit different. I want every young preacher, I appreciate you guys coming forward. You can stay right where you are. Don't worry about it right now. But I want every preacher, 40 years of age and under, I want to invite you to come forward right now. Would you mind, me and mine, just spreading out here? It's kind of a, just one, one line across here. Thank you. These young men that are standing here, if uh, their pastor or an elder in their life is present, I'd like to ask you to come and stand behind them tonight. I feel God wants to do something special here tonight. Pray.
There's some that the pastor or elder's not here tonight. And uh, in this case, this young man's pastor is under 40 and is up at the front too. That's all right. But there's three or four or five of you elders that would come up here. This, this fellow needs somebody to pray for him. Are these both from your church? Praise God. This young evangelist here. Yes. I'll pray for you tonight. Brother John John Lamerth is my friend for a long time. Praise God. Now, all the rest of the ministry that wants to come and stand behind these brethren. I invite you to come. I want you to come. Thank you for being concerned about the younger generation. Oh, God. Oh, God. Any of you pastors that have had this young man preach for you? Well, I know he's been preaching here in the area. Why don't you step over here, Brother Dudley? Praise God. I want this congregation to join in with me tonight. We're praying for God's protection upon these young men. For God to touch their minds, their heart, their spirit. Give them a love for this truth that can never be compromised, can never be diluted.